Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. President Trump tries to feed world leaders a spoon full of Putin. The lead starts right now. Breaking news, brand new details on President Trump's tense and bitter summit with world leaders and how he just would not let go of the issue of bringing Russia back into the group. Plans and policy versus getting personal. Joe Biden tugging at voters' heartstrings in a new ad as his campaign chooses a different lane than his closest challenger. Plus, Puerto Rico and Florida in the danger zone, bracing as Dorian picks up steam with thousands still living under blue tarps after Hurricane Maria. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to the lead. I'm Hill in for Jake Tapper, and we begin today with breaking news. Brand new reporting on just what happened behind the scenes at a G7 welcome dinner. Sharp, sometimes bitter disagreements breaking out over President Trump's push to let Russia back into the group. That's according to two diplomatic officials and a senior U.S. official with knowledge of the exchange. Those sources telling CNN the president repeatedly insisted at a summit dinner that Russia be included in the talks and continue to falsely blame his predecessor, Barack Obama, for kicking Vladimir Putin out of the alliance. Boris Sanchez brings us the insider details from the White House. President Donald Trump returning to Washington from the G7, calling it a great success on Twitter, but two diplomatic sources and one senior U.S. official tell CNN behind the scenes there was feuding between world leaders in France over his insistence that Russia be invited to rejoin the group. A lot of people say having Russia, which is a power, uh, having them inside the room is better than having them outside the room. By the way, there were numerous people during the G7 that felt that way. And we didn't take a vote or anything, but we did discuss it. My inclination is to say, yes, they should be in. But CNN has learned that was not the case at all. Only outgoing Italian Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte agreed with Trump, while most of the allies, including Britain's Boris Johnson, Germany's Angela Merkel, and France's Emmanuel Macron, balked at the idea, leading to tense, heated exchanges during a Saturday dinner. One diplomatic source saying Trump repeatedly blamed his predecessor, Barack Obama, for ejecting Russia from the group, even as he was outnumbered by counterparts who argued that Russia had become more undemocratic since it was ejected for invading Crimea in 2014. On Twitter today, Trump launched attacks on the press, trying to spin coverage of his dizzying performance at the G7, writing, quote, Media coverage bore no relationship to what actually happened in France. Fake news, it was great. Trump's trip also punctuated by confounding and misleading statements about the state of trade discussions with China, the First Lady's relationship with North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un, and his outlook on relations with Iran. The president saying he's open to meeting with Iranian President Hassan Rouhani while also threatening violence. 
If the circumstances were correct or the right, I would certainly agree to that. They can't do what they were saying they're going to do, because if they do that, they're going to be met with really very violent force. Rouhani with an insulting response, saying he'll only meet with Trump if... If you lift all these sanctions, and if you bow your head in respect to the nation of Iran, well, then the situation would be different. The White House has declined to comment in response to Rouhani's statements. Yesterday, the president was asked about the strategy behind his bluster and his often contradictory statements, Erica. He said, it's the way I negotiate. He said it served him well and it served the country well, too. Erica. Boris Sanchez with the latest for us. Boris, thank you. And as we learn more about just what did happen behind the scenes, it's fascinating to SE as we look at this, that the president We knew he was going to continue to push for Russia to be allowed back in. But to hear about how this happened at the dinner is somewhat remarkable and yet not surprising all at once. Um, right. In, in some ways, this is peak Trump. In other ways, we should continue to be surprised and alarmed by this behavior, whether it's on the world stage, domestically, behind closed doors, at a podium in front of the world to see. We should, we should call it out. We should report it as we are. And we should talk about it. All those caveats aside, just to make a political comment for a second, 2020, November, far away, don't think voters are going to really be moved by the crazy chaos, arguably crazy chaos that we saw over the weekend. And while there are really important foreign policy implications, politically, he's doing Trump. Trump's going to be Trump. And I don't think people are going to sort of breathe this in and think any differently of Trump than they already do. No, and that works for his base. But the question is that they're not breathing it in any differently than Harry. As Uh, you know, the the issue is he needs to grow that base a little bit. He's not interested in doing that at all, though. Maybe not, but he may need to. (laughs) He may. He may. He's at a 40 percent approval rating. Everything that he's done so far has led to this. And he's at a 40 percent approval rating on foreign policy. The president needs to do things differently if he wants to actually reach out to voters beside his own base. His own base is not going to win him 2020. And yeah, it's true. This probably doesn't have an impact on voters. But look, it's part of a pattern. If he continues that pattern, adios amigos to the president. Well, it's also a part of what happens to the United States, right? Whether it's in, you know, another year or so or perhaps another five years, depending on how long Donald Trump is president. And as we know, we we heard about this from Boris, but hearing about the leaders who did, speak up and say something. So Angela Merkel, Boris Johnson, Justin Trudeau, all speaking out against the idea of letting Russia back in. The fact that they are now perhaps speaking a little bit more forcefully. Mm. Does that change something in what we're seeing in the way that world leaders are reacting? I think that world leaders have been critical of the president for a while. I mean, I think that your point is right, that typically something like G7 isn't going to make a big impact in 2020, except that On the Democratic side, the race is heating up such that you have very prominent Democrats hitting on these points over and over and over again. So I think that some of the mistakes that the president has made, whether it's misrepresenting what happened with Russia and why Russia is no longer in the G7 or whether it's misrepresenting or not showing up to a climate meeting at all. You know, that's a key campaign issue for 2020. So I I do think it's possible, actually, that these blunders sort of stick around and have an impact and that we're still talking about them in the way that we haven't in the past. It's interesting, too, the way uh, that from what we understand that Emmanuel Macron played, it said to have played it very diplomatically to the point where afterwards Boris Johnson apparently told him, well played. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. fascinating in and of itself because he seems to have really figured out 
how to work with the president here or work within the parameters of what he has. I don't think that anybody's figured out how to work with this president because he is just so completely erratic that you can't trust anything about him. But I, I want to go back to something around the political consequences here. I don't think that come next November, anyone is going to care about the conversation that happened or didn't happen. What is interesting, though, is what we're not hearing. And we're not hearing much conversation about Russian interference in our elections, which now there is a report that said that there's a whole lot of various digital activity that is still ongoing. The president refuses to comment about that, to talk about that. We know that voter suppression is a clear tactic. Keeping people home is what Donald Trump and what Republicans want to do. And by having this constant love affair with Vladimir Putin and refusing to condemn the Russians for anything, I think that the conversation that we are missing right now around how Russia may or may not be uh, interfering in our elections is, is really problematic. And I don't want us to lose sight of that because no one's going to remember the devil of the details come November about what happened. It is important we talk more about Russia and, and the meddling election. I will agree with you on that. What's interesting is it came up in this letter that a number of uh, mm-hmm. top Democratic senators wrote to the president. Uh, they did mention it and in part also said the G7 nations are unified by both economic status and a shared commitment to democratic values, human rights and the rule of law. Readmitting Putin's Russia to the G7 would be contrary to our values and a clear abdication of the United States responsibilities as the world's leading democracy. Now, I think we can all agree that they probably didn't expect the letter to sway the president at all. And I would also, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that I'm guessing he wasn't maybe the intended target. That maybe this was aimed perhaps at voters, perhaps at other world leaders, a little attention. Does it move the conversation board at all? Are you suggesting, Erica, that this might be a little politically motivated? Uh, Yeah. Maybe? Look, I mean, there's not... What they're saying is not wrong. It's mm-hmm. not incorrect. But yes, I, I'm with you. I, I'm a little s- suspicious of the motives and intention here. You can harangue the president for getting a little too cozy with Putin. I would say a lot too cozy with Putin. And yet now you're sort of banging your fists on the table. Well, why won't you let us in to talk to Putin? We want to talk to Putin. And it's really important that we talk to Putin. I mean, politics is politics, so I'm not surprised by any of this. But as um, as important as it is that we, America, make our position about Russia's um, involvement in the G7 slash G8 clear, I do think that there's a lot of politics at play here. Mm. All right. Well, uh, also a lot of politics at play when you talk about Puerto Rico, which, of course, is still recovering from two deadly hurricanes. Now preparing for a tropical storm that is gaining strength. We have the latest forecast just ahead. Plus, more breaking news. President Trump's banks responding moments ago to questions over his tax returns. One question that was actually pretty easy to answer. That's next. Breaking news in our politics lead on President Trump's tax returns. Two of his banks responding to the court just moments ago, revealing which financial records of President Trump's they may have. I want to bring in CNN political correspondent Sarah Murray. So, Sarah, the banks responding to the court, what did they say? That's right. Deutsche Bank has responded in their letter and they basically said that, look, we do have some of these tax returns you're talking about, but they are not telling the general public which ones. They filed their full answer under seal, but they redacted the names of the tax returns that they do have. So we we still don't know if they have President Trump's tax returns, if they have members of his family, or if they have the tax returns of the Trump organization or related entities. All of those were covered in the subpoena. And it's not clear if the judge is going to require Deutsche Bank to 
to make that answer fully public. They're arguing that in doing so, they would somehow compromise this business relationship they have with their clients and the client's expectation of privacy. Now, Capital One had a much shorter answer. They said, essentially, we don't have any of these tax returns you're looking for in this subpoena. So it looks like it'll mainly be an issue with Deutsche Bank going forward. Hmm. We'll look forward to uh, perhaps getting a little bit more on that, Sarah. Thank you. (laughs) The national lead as Puerto Rico prepares for another potential hurricane. The president is tweeting about the island's recovery. Wow. Yet another big storm heading to Puerto Rico, he wrote. Will it ever end? Congress approved $92 billion for Puerto Rico last year, an all-time record of its kind for, quote, anywhere. Well, here's the thing. An important point to make, the figure the president uses and which he's used in the past is not accurate. Congress did approve money for, for Puerto Rico, $42 billion, not $92 billion. The White House estimates Puerto Rico could get $90 billion in the years to come. But again, another reminder, facts, they matter. Meantime, Dorian could be near hurricane strength when it hits the island, which is still in recovery mode from Hurricanes Maria and Irma two years ago. Now, FEMA says it does have more resources in place ahead of this storm than it did in 2017. CNN's Omar Jimenez is on the southern part of the island where Dorian is taking aim. So, Omar, given what Puerto Rico has been through and is still working to recover from, what are you finding? Are folks ready? Erica, they've been through a lot. And here we are almost two years after Hurricane Maria made landfall. And it is very much on the minds of many people ahead of Dorian's landfall as well. And we are waiting to see exactly how that hits. There are many people that still have not recovered, even from all that time ago. And this is among those places. This is a home that was destroyed over the course of Maria. Again, almost two years ago to this day, the homeowner here tells me that they were not given enough to rebuild, specifically. FEMA, uh, they showed us documents that FEMA only gave them below $9,000 to repair this. And as you can see, this really needed to be a rebuilding effort. We have reached out to FEMA at this point, uh, but this is the, these are the conditions that they are living in right now. At this point, the only way they can get into a back portion that they are still going through is not by walking on this portion because it is loose, but by balancing along these beams in the middle so that they can go up to a back portion of, again, the remainder of this home just so they can live. And that is where they are planning to shelter in regards to Dorian coming tomorrow. They are doing everything they can to be as safe as possible. But the reality is this is going to bring a lot of rain, whether it hits as a tropical storm or as a hurricane in the end. And of course, is going to bring back a lot of the same memories that people had when Maria struck again close to two years ago. We spoke to the mayor of Ponte, again, this town just about 70 miles driving this in southwest of San Juan. And she says no matter how it hits, they'd rather be safe over sorry. Erica. Absolutely. Omar Jimenez with the latest for us. Omar, thank you. Want to bring in also CNN meteorologist Tom Sater, who has a closer look at the latest track. And give us a sense, too, how much time people have in Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands to still prepare. Well, Erica, I think you could say it. Dorian is like... Uh, it's like the storm that came out of nowhere and it keeps on going. It's like the little train that could. It's been defying an atmosphere that's been extremely dry, should have died the system out. It's been defying some computer models, but it made its way across Barbados and St. Lucia and Martinique, down power lines, down trees, and some flooding. Now we've got until late tomorrow, or at least tomorrow evening, when it makes its closest approach to Puerto Rico. The storm right now, winds are at 50 miles an hour. 
The tropical storm force winds extend outward at 50 miles an hour, and its closest approach to San Juan, I think uh, San Juan could be 93 miles away, so we're not sure. It's trying to wobble a little bit, and that is a concern. And peak, that's now the important part here. That's the uh, hurricane watch for Puerto Rico and that coast of Dominican Republic. But it's the track that means everything. If this threads the needle and stays over warmer waters, it's got a better chance to develop and strengthen. If it makes its way toward the west, toward, let's say, Dominican Republic, and interacts with the land and some of that higher terrain, that could break the system apart. Because it's a small storm, it's very vulnerable to all the elements. So it doesn't take much for a small storm to automatically generate power, but on the other side, it doesn't take much for it to dissipate. That's what we would like to see. If it makes its way closer toward Puerto Rico, again, as mentioned, if tropical storm force winds are out 50 miles and San Juan's 93, that may help them. But let me end with this. I talked to a friend of mine this morning who moved to San Juan in December. He sent me an article from the Miami Herald. The island uh, utility company runs 16 electricity generators. 11 of those 16 are out of service and the other five could go down with a stiff wind. So this means everything. If it makes it toward hurricane strength, or even if it doesn't, if it threads the needle between Puerto Rico and Dominican Republic, then it's got a better chance to further strengthen as it moves through the Bahama Islands than later on this weekend toward Florida. So there's a lot of uncertainty here. Mm-hmm. Much like Barry, though, that was a minimal hurricane. It dropped record rainfall, uh, one to two feet for the state of Arkansas as well. So these little storms can, can do some damage as well. Yeah, they certainly can. We know you continue to follow it, and we'll keep checking in with you. Tom Sater, thank you. A new emotional TV ad from Joe Biden as he reflects on his family's tragedies to make the case for his health care plan. This is another top Democrat takes a different approach. What it would have been like. In our 2020 lead, Joe Biden releasing an emotional TV ad in Iowa titled Personal. And it is. He speaks about the deaths of his wife, daughter, and adult son to highlight his deep connection with health care. The former vice president tweeting, the ad wasn't easy for me to record. As CNN's Arlette Signs reports, Biden seems to be taking an increasingly personal approach to his campaign as he works to secure his position as a Democratic frontrunner. Joe Biden laying out the stakes on health care in raw and emotional terms. Health care is personal to me. Obamacare is personal to me. A new TV ad running in Iowa, touching on his own experience with health care after a car accident claimed the lives of his wife and young daughter and injured his two sons and later his son Bo's battle with brain cancer. I can't fathom what would have happened if the insurance companies had said for the last six months of his life, you're on your own. It's the latest example of the 2020 candidates weaving in their personal stories to connect with voters from Bernie Sanders. Lack of money was always a point of stress in our family. To Elizabeth Warren. Without childcare, I was a goner. Today, I am a United States Senator. Warren using her life story to accompany her campaign's mantra. And I got a plan for that. Tying those experiences to pitch the policy plans central to her campaign. But Biden's approach is a bit different, making a nod to loss, an element of his life that plays out over and over on the campaign trail. How many of you have lost somebody to cancer or to terminal disease? Biden growing emotional in Iowa last month as he talked about personal caregivers. There is nobody, 
nobody, nobody, nobody more important to you than that person will there do anything from help you with the bedpan to when they get really scared, you know, <clears throat> hold their hands, you know. Delaware Congresswoman Lisa Blunt Rochester is among those to connect with Biden over grief. Shortly after her husband, Charles, unexpectedly passed away at the age of 52, she received a call from Biden, whom she met years earlier. That call was, was a pivotal moment. That promise that things will be better, that, 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 that joy can come back. Rochester ultimately turning her grief into a run for Congress. You can sometimes take your pain and turn it into purpose. Voters also sharing their personal struggles and stories of loss. With a man who has repeatedly coped with grief in the public eye. Though he doesn't name any of his Democratic primary rivals in this TV ad, Biden does characterize President Trump and others as posing a threat to Obamacare. That's an argument he makes over and over on the campaign trail as he has warned that Medicare for all would scrap the Affordable Care Act and as he tries to paint himself as the protector of that initiative. Erica. Arlette, good to see you. Appreciate it. Thank you. So as we look at all of this, I just want to paint the end of that new ad again. Take a listen. Healthcare is personal to me. Obamacare is personal to me. When I see the president try to tear it down and others propose to replace it and start over, that's personal to me too. You could listen to that and you could see that perhaps I should say a clear dig at perhaps some of his opponents, specifically if we're talking about Medicare for all. Is healthcare going to be a way that Joe Biden can really distinguish himself? I think that Joe Biden thinks that health care is going to be a way that he distinguishes himself. But the truth is, is that he's got to figure out how he's going to get over this massive enthusiasm gap that is kind of hiding behind the poll numbers that suggest that he is doing perhaps more well, uh, better than um, he is actually doing. And so I think that it's wonderful how personal he can be. In fact, it's one of the things that's most charming to me. The man has done some amazing work throughout his career. But the truth is, is that the electability idea isn't necessarily going to take him over the top. And so I'm not sure that that ad is going to necessarily cut it in Iowa. I don't know that it's going to cut it with young people who actually care about Medicare for all. Well, in terms of caring, too, what strikes me is so this most recent polling from Washington, the Washington Post and ABC, 89 percent of Democrats when talking about their 2020 vote say health care is either important or very important to them. The question is, see whether you see the candidates are listening beyond, yes, it's important, so we need to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But are we listening to what they actually mean when they say healthcare is important and what they want that to look like? Yeah, and I think that's the sort of existential divide between someone like Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren is saying, I'm listening and I'm running way over here with it because I'm thinking bold and we need big structural changes. Joe Biden's pitch, I think, is to say, I'm listening and I understand you don't actually want uh, to completely disrupt the current system. You still might like your private health insurance. Um, I think going personal for Joe Biden on this is a great idea, actually, because while we might know him because we've either been covering him for a long time or we're old, um, you know, there's a whole generation of people that don't know him and don't know his personal story. And I think for them, hearing this from his own mouth might be really impactful. What's interesting is there's there's so much focus on, you know, Elizabeth Warren has a plan for that. She's got a plan for everything, (laughs) which became a little bit of a punchline. But a recent op-ed in The Washington Post from Jennifer Rubin, she writes in terms of her success, that Warren, quote, weaves her personal story into her policy objectives, the ease with which she can explain a complex problem in simple and direct language, 
and her skill in presenting lots of individual ideas under a big theme. She is getting more personal. I would say she doesn't ignore the personal when she's doing it. And we have seen her really connecting on the trail with voters. How does Joe Biden do, Caitlin, when you're listening to him in terms of not just doing the personal, but explaining the policy? I think when he starts to talk about policy is when he's gotten into trouble in the last couple of rounds of debates. And so he's going to have to work on that quite a lot. He's going to have to go up against, you know, he has a very long history of, of, of messing up, of making gaffes, of either misspeaking or invoking something that he thinks is going to work out, you know, calling back to his past in a way that he thinks is going to make him look good, but it totally backfires. But I don't think, you know, until we see all of the Democratic candidates debating each other at once, mm-hmm. we really know. And I also think you have a lot of people just hanging back right now, a lot of voters thinking there are too many people to choose from right now. This is confusing to me. It's like doing a taste test. You know, you go to Popeye's and have the chicken sandwich one day, and then the next day you go to Chick-fil-A. This is Harry's Wheelhouse, by the way. Anything involving Popeye's is Harry's Wheelhouse. It's got to be back to back. It's got to be back to back so that you can know that Popeye's is the unequivocal winner. (laughs) <laughs> Harry? Harry? I, look, all I heard I know was, how you feel about all I heard was chicken spicy sandwich. chicken sandwich, and I moved to a different universe. So I honestly didn't hear the last 10 seconds of it because I was just thinking of that wonderful sandwich. Look, I, I think that the idea of Joe Biden talking about health care is a great idea for him. Look, I don't have much of a life beyond Popeye's, but I look at the polling data a lot. And what I see in that polling data is that Democrats, even Democrats, when they are asked whether or not they want a Medicare for all option or whether they want a public option, They want that public option. When asked whether or not they want to get rid of Obamacare or whether they want to build on Obamacare, they say they want to build on Obamacare. And to me, this is the message that allows Joe Biden to sign a play right in that center of the Democratic electorate that so far has been powering him to that lead. Here's the other thing that's interesting about, you know, trying trying to be in the middle of things. The New York Times reporting Warren is quietly courting, right, Mm -hmm. top Democratic officials Mm -hmm. to try to convince them that despite the liberal agenda, she is, and I quote here, a team player who's seeking to lead the party not stage a hostile takeover. Yep. So That's so damning, I think. I mean, that was great reporting by Jay Mar- uh, John mm-hmm. Martin of the New York Times. That's fairly damning, I think. I'm not sure it's the best look for an ultra-progressive candidate to say one thing publicly to progressive voters and then quietly say another thing to donors and the DNC about not being all that serious about the revolution. But that's not what the story is no, at all. And yeah. I think that what this is coming down to is whose retail politics are better. So you see Joe Biden, who's the establishment guy, who's like, I've been with you since whenever, and that's his kind of transactional retail politic. What Elizabeth Warren is doing is she's actually making calls directly to party leader. She's having direct conversations with constituents that aren't promising them one thing in private. She's saying, don't worry. She's saying, don't worry. She's saying, don't worry. I'm not I'm going to blow to up the DNC. Side. I'm here to revive it, which is not something I think most progressive voters care about at all, reviving the DNC. That's politics. And if you want to compare that to Joe Biden, Joe Biden says the same thing to donors as he says to voters. I can beat Trump and these other candidates can't. If someone's saying one thing to donors and one thing to voters, I think that's a problem. I think it's very on brand because Elizabeth Warren is constantly talking about I agree it's on change. brand. Her lack but of she, authenticity is on brand. She's constantly talking about we need to have structural change. We need to shore up our infrastructure, right? She's talking the same way about the party when she's talking talking to party leaders, what are we going to be doing about the Democratic Party? I think that it's on brand for her, and I think the retail politics are smart, very smart. We are going to have to leave it there for this conversation, but it'll come back, don't worry. Uh, Looking at the firefight, Brazil potentially turning down $20 million of help for the Amazon, unless that is 
Brazil's president gets a personal apology. The world lead Brazil's president didn't reject the $5 million offered by Leonardo DiCaprio to save the Amazon. His government is suggesting, however, he could turn down $20 million from the G7, telling French President Emmanuel Macron to take care of his own home first. And President Trump also taking sides, tweeting that Bolsonaro and his country have the full and complete support of the USA. CNN's Nick Payton Walsh caught up with the firefighters dealing with this crisis firsthand. Vanity before humanity in the Earth's most urgent environmental crisis. Brazil's leader demanding an apology from French President Emmanuel Macron today, threatening to reject $20 million to fight the Amazon rainforest fires. The very ones burning in his own backyard and destroying a vital habitat. All because President Jair Bolsonaro says Macron crossed a line by calling him a liar on his commitment to the environment. Mr. Macron should think two, three times before he attempts to get out of the complicated situation he is in. The Brazilian government initially turning down the offer of aid from the G7 alliance. Bolsonaro adding he didn't trust the motivation behind the money, telling reporters earlier this week, why do they have their eye on the Amazon? What do they want there? Then accusing France of treating them as if we were a colony or a no-man's land. The Brazilian president has touted himself as a protector and ally of the Amazon, but critics say since he came into office, he's just hurt it. Deforestation has risen 80% since 2018, and there are 85% more fires than this time last year. This fire brigade has seen the spike firsthand. Most of the fires they fight, often by hand, are deliberately lit by people, they say. It is a tiring, uphill struggle. Nowadays, we feel sometimes even a bit powerless because we work so hard to get some reduction, and thus far, it has only increased even more. This team of 30 firefighters cover an enormous area in one of the worst affected states in the Amazon. But the $20 million that the world's seven richest nations have pledged to fight this climate emergency, and that Brazil may not even accept, would only pay for 70 units of this size for one year across the whole of the Amazon. Bolsonaro responded to the intense pressure this weekend, vowing to send 43,000 troops to fight the fires. But it is a race against time, and when it comes to world leaders, against their pride too. Nick Payton Walsh, CNN, Portovello, Brazil. Actress Lori Loughlin back in court over that college admissions scandal. What happened inside the courtroom today? Next. Hey, Lori, anything to say? Say about your daughters? Breaking news. Actress Lori Loughlin and her husband leaving court just moments ago after a hearing related to the college admissions scandal. The celebrity couple accused of paying half a million dollars to a fake charity to get their daughters into USC. Let's bring in CNN's Scott McLean, who's live outside the courthouse in Boston. So what happened during this hearing today, Scott? Hey, Erica. So Lachlan and her husband, fashion designer Massimo Giannulli, spent about 40 minutes inside the courtroom. As you saw there, they were somber and sober walking in and out of the building. That is in stark contrast to the last time Lori Lachlan was here in Boston in April when she was smiling and waving to her fans. There's not a whole lot for her to smile about. She's pleaded not guilty to fraud and money laundering charges. 
Each of them, though, carries a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison. As you mentioned, she's accused of spending half a million dollars to bribe uh, her daughters into USC as crew recruits, even though the government alleges that neither had ever taken part in rowing. Now, today's hearing was largely a procedural issue dealing with a potential conflict of interest. Lachlan and Giannulli shared the same law firm uh, as another defendant in the college admissions scandal, one who is cooperating with the government. They also share a law firm with, with a, a firm that once represented USC. The judge explained to them why that was problematic. They said they understood the risks involved with the arrangement, but they wanted to proceed with the same legal team, Erica. All right. We'll continue to watch for more on that. Scott McClain live there in Boston for us. Scott, thank you. Uh, so, Ellie Honig, as we look at this, you and I have talked a number of times about this case and what we're seeing. And I just want to pick up on what Scott mentioned. So just the public display today versus April, when we first saw Lori Loughlin arrive at court, they could not be more different, even in terms of what she was wearing, the cardigan, very demure is that sending a message? So somebody gave Lori Laughlin some good advice here, which is that judges and prosecutors do not like it when a defendant turns the courthouse steps into a red carpet event. This is a serious procedure. The only reason Lori Laughlin's there is because she's been charged with serious federal crimes. Mm -hmm. It is not a photo op. And look, that's just human nature. But even just keeping it within the law, one of the things that judges look at when they sentence is acceptance of responsibility. Did you take this seriously? Did you admit what you did? Did you sort of accept responsibility mm -hmm. for your actions? And waving around and, and, and having fun outside the courthouse is not consistent with that. So I, I think today was a much smarter approach. So when we look at look at the difference, too, of it's fair to say Lori Loughlin and Felicity Huffman, in many ways, became the became the faces of the story yeah. because they were well known prior to being implicated here with this. Well, Felicity Huffman pled guilty, as we know, yeah. early on. She was very contrite from what we heard in court, apologized. She will be sentenced in a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Could that help her then, as much as Lori Loughlin's behavior may not have helped her in the beginning? Right. And again, she's pleaded not guilty. She hasn't gone to trial yet. Right. Could this, could the way that Felicity Huffman handled it help her when it comes to sentencing? It could. Whatever Felicity Huffman gets sentenced to, and I think it's a coin toss as to whether she gets jail or not. She's right in that range. Her sentencing range is four to 10 months. Mm -hmm. Now that's advisory. The judge can go below or above that. And that's right in that gray area where sometimes defendants get jail, sometimes they don't. Whatever Felicity Huffman gets is going to be the floor for Lori Laughlin because Felicity Huffman paid an, a way lower amount of money. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the involvement in the charges that they were both alleged were far different. Yeah, different types of charges. And look, the deal when you're in a federal case is your first plea offer is almost always going to be your best plea offer. And Lori Laughlin is going down a very dangerous path now and her husband where they've said no to the first offer. And pretty soon they're going to have only two choices. Take a much harsher offer or go to trial. And boy, everyone's entitled to go to trial, but it is often a fool's errand in federal courts. 80, 90 percent of federal cases end up in trials, end up in conviction. We should, we should say, too, that from the beginning, they have also said, you know, prosecutors have said, we, we believe we have a very strong case. We have a yeah. lot of evidence. And we haven't put everything out on the table that we have. Yeah, it, it's a scary thing to take on the U.S. Department of Justice. And it does look like prosecutors have a really strong case here. It looks like Laughlin's defense is going to be, we didn't know these were bribes. We thought these were just sort of, we we're paying a consultant. But how do you square that with the fact that they faked that their daughters were on crew, crew team when they've never rowed a boat in their lives? They're going to have a real problem at trial. That will certainly be a question that comes up at trial. <laughs> Ellie, always good to see you, my friend. Thank you. Trade war troubles in the heart of Trump country. We are live in Wisconsin, where farmers say there is one thing they will need to see 
to vote for President Trump come 2020. In our national lead, Vice President Pence today trying to reassure concerned farmers while pushing the president's signature trade deal, the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. It's a deal the president claimed just last month would help dairy farmers, especially those in Wisconsin, where nearly two dairy farms are closing every day. It's also a state the president narrowly carried in 2016. So CNN's Martin Savage met with some Trump-supporting farmers to see if their struggles will impact their vote in 2020. I'm halfway between Green Bay and Milwaukee, deep in Dairyland, where the cows are black and white, the fields green, and the boaters red as their barns. The dairy farming business is a challenge. Dairy farming has its challenges. More of a challenge than what we expected in our careers. It's challenging. The average price for milk is around $16 per 100 pounds. For most farmers, that is less than the cost for them to produce it and way down from $24 per 100 pounds they were getting five years ago. It means there's not as much money to go around at the end of the month. Last year, some 700 farms in Wisconsin closed, nearly two a day. And some of those farmers I call my friends. To ensure that didn't happen to her, Janet Clark quit an insurance job and moved back to the farm that's been in her family five generations. Like a lot of dairy farmers, she voted for President Trump. I don't have second thoughts of my decision in 2016. I'm on the fence of what my decision is going to be in 2020. Trump's trade disputes have hurt dairy prices and dairy exports. To diversify, dairy farms started growing crops, corn, soy, whose prices have also been hurt by trade tariffs. So your backup business is also suffering at the same time your main business is suffering. You're correct. There are concerns that oppressed milk prices and trade disputes will drag into next year. Do you think that's going to have an impact on how dairy farmers vote? Yeah, I think it will have an effect, yeah. But the president still has fans here. Do you blame this administration for any kind of financial difficulty you may face? No. No, I don't. Uh, because things happen. And uh, just because it's this president in the situation he is doesn't mean it's all on his shoulders. Despite their suffering, some still see the trade disputes as necessary to even the trade playing field. I'm still confident that we're going to come out of this better, not just as us in agriculture, but as a country. Janet Clark says if she's going to vote for Trump again, she needs something from him. I need some hope. I need to see some light at the end of the tunnel, which I haven't seen in four years. Without that, it'll be harder for Wisconsin farmers to hang on, which could make the president's re-election hopes here, in a word, challenging. It is hard to overstate just how much these cows mean to this state's economy, about $45 billion every single year. So it's really not a cow you're looking at. That's a kindergarten teacher's salary, or it's part of the paving of a road. In fact, they could change the outcome of the whole presidential election in this state. Kind of gives you a whole different respect for these young ladies, doesn't it, America? Indeed it does. Martin Savage for us in Wisconsin today. Marty, thank you. Thanks to all of you for joining us today on The Lead. You can follow me at Erica R. Hill. Be sure to tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness 
providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.